Carpenter's Way. Those of you that are here in the room and those watching, um, we're all one church, right? Whether you're at home or here, and it may be smaller in here this morning so far, but um, we're all going to worship together. And if you want, we are going to be singing some Christmas songs. We invite you to stand and join us in worship if you are able.
And please stand as we read the scripture together. Then Jesus said, Come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heaven burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you, because I am humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light.
more time. Morning, Carpenter's Way. How's everybody? Uh, just wanted to announce that today is the last day that we'll be collecting uh, gifts for the staff love offering. And if you haven't had a chance to participate and would like to do so, you can do that today. There's a box out in the lobby that you could drop your gift, and then we'll be collecting those and distributing those evenly to our staff this week. So we hope you have a chance to participate. Thank you. I am so excited to have all this time. I'm going to preach for two and a half hours this morning. It's great. Aren't you excited? These brights, you are such liars. You just lie, you lie. Well, it's good to see you this morning. It's good to have you that I can't see this morning. But uh, Merry Christmas, everybody. It is, it is that time of the year, and uh, I hope that you are jumping into the festive occasions uh, and I, I just feel the need to congratulate you that you made it to December of 2020. Amen. How about that? You know, there's a, there's a meme on Facebook that says December 2020, level 12 of Giambi. So <laughs> if, you watch that, if you watch that movie, you kind of know uh, what, uh, what's that about. Hey, I hope you are enjoying the uh, video testimonials every night, the Advent testimonials. Um, I, they are so good. I mean, they are so moving, and all of them are so different, and we wanted that. Uh, I, for those of you who don't know what's going on, on our digital platforms, uh, our church website, uh, well, we have an Apple TV channel, we have a Roku channel, Facebook Live, it's on there, uh, but we have been, there's 23 families in our church, we asked to record a five-minute video, just about a time when, uh, of their life when God showed up and just kept His promise of encouragement to them, and and uh, I thought last night's was, was, they've all been excellent, but last night I thought it was a little bit funny. Alicia uh, and Daryl Douglas were sharing, and they said that somebody came up to him a few years ago and told him, how have you stayed faithful to the Lord all these years with such a difficult life? And Alicia and Doug looked at each other and said, or Daryl looked at each other and said, well, we haven't had a difficult life. And then they told their testimony. And last night I'm going, boy, you've had a rough life, Alicia and Daryl. But God remains faithful. And, and the reason we're doing this, and in one of the songs that we sang a few moments ago, um, uh, it talks about God keeping His promises, and that's kind of the theme that we're doing this year together. God keeps His promises, and that's the value of looking back at the first advent. I mean, Jesus' birth doesn't save us. His death, burial, and resurrection does, but to see the promises that He kept. And so for those of you who are jumping in this morning with us, we're glad you're joining with us. Uh, I'll get into the message in a few minutes, but I, I just want to encourage you that all these things work together. I know the ladies are doing, uh, they have... It's like four days a week or five days a week? Monday through Thursday, uh, there are women in our church who have written Advent devotionals, and uh, they're so good that she's, Julie's getting angry letters from people going, where's Friday, Saturday, and Sunday? So <laughs> settle on, settle down, and we'll make you one of them next year. No, I'm just kidding. But they're, they're Monday through Thursday, and uh, the, the video ones are every night. And the point is, you know, Julie and I have talked about this a lot, and I think I've even said it to you in the past, that there's... 
One of the things that happens in Acts chapter 3, 4, and 5 is they start sharing everything in common, and one of the things they share is their story. And, you know, in the church, the modern church, the Western church, a lot of this is one-way communication. And then we separate the children, and we separate the students, and, and uh, we break down by age. And one of the things that I don't think we do well is share our stories with each other, just the stories of God's faithfulness. And you don't have to have been in jail for 400 years in order to have a great story. God is faithful. In fact, I would argue that the greatest testimonies are people who don't necessarily need it or at least appear not to need it. And, uh, and yet have God has shown up faithful and encouraging. And So make sure you watch those. Those are for you. And if you miss them, and, and we haven't been able to watch every night. We were decorating, but we, they're archived. So you can go back on Facebook or on our, our digital platforms and watch them. And like, like we said, it was funny that after the first night, people were like, okay, is that it? Well, we, they're five minutes, uh, and that seems short because some of us get up here and talk a lot. So I, would you quit amening, Pam? I will tell you when to amen. <sighs> so hard to preach. So hard to preach. Somebody just stepped in and amen for her. <laughs> so. Uh, we want to welcome, you, you know, we've uh, been, there's some people who've been coming into membership, and, and if you didn't read the, shh, I'm talking. There was, an, there was a, a, one of the signs before the service, if you logged in and saw some of the ads coming up and, and activities, we're excited. To, uh, this week, we added uh, Brad and Amber uh, Pesek to our family. I keep wanting to call him Pesek, uh, Pesek. Uh, so welcome. Our next membership, we have a few more people. We're going through all the interviewing process. And in, in February, we're going to have another membership class. If you're interested, if you've been watching online, I want to remind you that we're, everything is opening up in the 1st of January. That's January 3rd. So we'll have child care. Wednesday night services are going to restart up. And uh, so we want to encourage you to that. The rest of the month, uh, like I said, we have these video things going on. And then Christmas Eve, which again is the 24th this year. I have to say that because there are churches who have Christmas Eve candlelight services on Sunday nights, but I don't explain those things. Um, but it's, uh, we're going to have two this year so that we can do the social distancing thing, five o'clock and six o'clock. So they're 30 minutes long. We, we do that intentionally. It's just the reading of the story and a lot of singing. And then we send you home to have dessert or have dinner. But there's going to be one at 5 o'clock and one at 6 o'clock. And I think what I'm going to do is I'm going to, I'm going to uh, let the Bible study leaders, I'm, I'm going to try to separate 5 o'clock and 6 o'clock. Half the classes will try to have come at 5 and half at 6. And the reason is to separate. And then, then the rest of you who are not part of Bible study class, just come whenever you want. But we're just trying to uh, keep it you know, separated and keep everybody healthy. And then in January, officially the virus is gone, so we're all going to smash into each other's lives. So, uh, <laughs> but uh, I guess that's not a very funny joke. But uh, anyway, so um, um, that's what's going on for the next few months and, uh, or the next month. And, and, and I hope that the rest of your year is as wonderful as the rest of the year was because God was faithful. We're here and worshiping. Um, all right, I want to show you something. Uh, uh, this picture behind me, is actually a mountain in Northern California, about three hours outside of San Francisco. How far, do you, how, how far is it? About three hours from San Francisco. Uh, there's a town called Redding uh, outside of it. That's probably the biggest town that's close. It's about an hour and a half from Sacramento, north of that. But that huge mountain in the background is called Mount Lassen, and that is an active volcano. Ironically, my dad and Mama Karen lived on the side of that mountain, which isn't very smart, but that's a different thing. California's a weird place. But, uh, but that is, a, we have property up, uh, it, this is, there's a national park around, let me explain to be a little more specific. There's a national park around it, but this whole mountain range is volcanic. Um, and so 
even though you may not live in that Lassen National Park, if, if you live on that mountain, it's all volcanic build. And uh, I remember as a kid going up there, and our dad would take us to this old lava pits, these black rocks that we could crawl on around, and, and volcanic, there was even volcanic glass that we used to go look at. And uh, just, it's just a, an amazing park. Um, and again, this is an active volcano that actually could erupt any time. And they, they believe that some of the plates in California, the reason that they have so many earthquakes is because the plates are moving. Uh, they threaten to know when it's going to blow, but they never really do. It could happen today. It may not happen for 100 million years. Um, the the Lassen, Lassen National Park built around that volcano you're looking at is a, is a pretty amazing place. It has incredible wildlife, everything from bobcats uh, to bear, black bear, California black bear, and everything in between. And um, what, within the park, and I think the next picture is, is a glacial lake. Yeah, that's a, that's a glacial lake. So for those of you who like fishing, um, I never caught bass growing up. Uh, and yes, I did fish at one point when I still had my man card before the Hallmark movies. Um, but we used to go up and we would, we would uh, fish in the streams for trout, rainbow trout. And all of those streams were glacial fed and they were clear. I mean, it is incredible. If we could take another picture here, and I, I don't have one, but you could look straight down. And we'd get in a boat, and you could look down. You didn't need a fish finder. You could see the fish down there. And so we'd drop a salmon egg down there, and they would just stare at it because I wasn't a good fisherman. <laughs> but uh, but we, would, we would go up there, and, and usually sometime when we were vacationing as a kid, my dad would, would dare me to stay in the water for five minutes, and if he would, he'd give me a dollar or some stupid small amount. And if you know anything about glacial runoff, it's about 33 degrees. He thought that was funny. I, I now know that that was abuse. Um, <laughs> but I'd get my dollar. And, and, but that's a, glacial, that's a glacial lake, and it, uh, it's, it, it's gorgeous. It's in Mount Lassen. There's, there's actually quite a few. Uh, as you get higher on the volcano, and you can actually drive up and around it, but as you get higher on the volcano, there's lots of little lakes. And what's weird is they turn color based upon the mineral content. Of the, of the dirt around it. Would you show another picture? Um, this picture is, uh, is kind of an interesting one. Uh, I said it's a live volcano, and so far the pictures are beautiful. And there is a walkway in the middle that's hard to see. If you look to the right, uh, probably around 2 o'clock, you can see a little path there. And the, the uh, National um, Forestry Service actually built a walkway, and you can walk through. That is steam. Uh, as you know, volcanoes uh, have, uh, are mountains built on top, and, and they're, they're building up, and, and it grows an inch or two a year, this mountain itself, because underneath is a swell of, uh, of, of power and lava and steam that's actually lifting it up, and that steam has to escape somewhere. And so even in, uh, you're familiar with Old Faithful at Yosemite, but also we have, they have geysers here. There's, there's a few of them. But what's more popular is hot, boiling pools. And while you can't see it because of the steam, that's kind of a, um, an, it, it's like oatmeal. That's the substance. It's, it's, uh, it looks like clay, and it boils. I mean, it, it boil boils, and it stinks, some of them, because of the, the high mineral content. But what, the, what you're looking at here is you are looking at the uh, unseen force underneath that's exploding to the surface. And some of the explosions literally shoot up into the air and are overwhelming geysers. And some of them just kind of bubble up and they're seen. 
And uh, each year, these seem to get bigger and bigger. Uh, the geysers don't seem to blow as high one year after another. That's how they measure whether or not they think the, the volcano is going to blow this year. But it is, it is a fascinating thing. And you're probably wondering, so we're in Advent. The church is studying Advent. So what does this have to do with Advent? This morning, we're going to talk about joy and real joy. Real joy is like the volcanic heat. It can't help but make its way to the surface. Now, sometimes, sometimes it's an explosion of happiness. Sometimes it just gurgles there, as you've seen in some of the videos. But it's always surfacing because it's there, underneath. And there's a, there's a lot of confusion as to um, what joy is. And that's because I think even in the church, um, let, me, let me come back to that in a second. Joy is the trait that we're going to explore today uh, on this third Sunday of Advent. We've talked about hope, and in looking at hope, we, we, we looked at Simeon, and we looked at Anna. We looked at, at peace that God offers, and we looked at the shepherds last week, and we talked about how, while terrified at the angelic armies of heaven, they had to listen and obey, and as they went to the manger scene, they found peace in a manger. God's Messiah, the Savior, they declared, or was declared to them. And then it tells us that they went out and told everybody everything they'd seen. And it gives us the idea that even Mary didn't understand. It says that she took all the things she's watching into her heart and just thought about them. Because I think you could make the case that Mary doesn't, I mean, how could she, really can't wrap her uh, mind around the fact that she just gave birth to God. God's Son. While she knows she never had intimate relations with a man, still nine and a half months of that is kind of just, it becomes life. And um, one of the things we've talked about, and this is why I backed up from joy for just a second, this has been an exceptionally moving season for me. Uh, and maybe some of you, and because of the time, I have a little more time to kind of share this with you. But I grew up with the word Advent, but I never took time looking at Advent. It's kind of, oh yeah, that's over there. It's like Pentecost Sunday in the church to me. Oh, Pentecost Sunday. But as we've been going through this together, you guys, I've come to realize it really is its own season. It's its, its own season. It isn't really, it's only, it's only attached to Christmas because Advent means the coming. That, that's what that word actually means. And we're looking forward to the birth of Jesus. But still, I'm kind of cynical and I'm very practical in my heart. So I'm like, well, what, what's the big deal of Advent? Until you realize, until I realize this season that the point of Advent, and Julie and I were talking about this yesterday, and she's like, duh, it's what it's always been. The point of Advent is to look back at how the people were anxiously awaiting the birth of their Messiah. We're praying for it. We're looking forward to it. And God kept his promises of thousands of years. I mean, the promise of a Messiah actually starts in Genesis right after the fall. And for 5,000 years, the faithful men and women of God are praying for a solution to their sin. God's promised a solution to sin. And, and they go through good and bad times, really bad times. And yet they stayed faithful. Guys like Daniel and Isaiah, um, they looked forward to God fulfilling his promise of restoring the nation of Israel. And Jesus is born. Every promise he made was fulfilled in Jesus Christ. 
And if he kept his promise then, then while we're 2,000 years removed from the ascension of Jesus, the promise for us that seems so long ago that he's going to Advent a second time? Advent, the second Advent, the return of Christ, the second coming, us going to be with him. That's where our hope lies. We find peace in the chaos when our hope is there of his second Advent. And, I, and look, we can all put our hope in silly stuff a little too much alcohol at Christmas. We can put our hope in family. Boy, are we going to be discouraged with that. We can put our hope in our spouses, and unless you're Julie, you're going to be disappointed. It's just life. You put your hope in your kids, and then they turn 15. You put your hope in lots of stuff, in a, in a TV preacher, and you find out he's having an affair or stealing money. You put your hope in a church, and you're disappointed. But you put your hope in the promises of God? You are not a fool. You find hope that he has fulfilled every promise he's made up to now so I can trust him to fulfill every promise in the future. Uh, there's peace because my hope, my, my peace isn't in a better, healthier body. It's in God. It's not in a better government. It's in God. And even if injustice reigns now, justice will reign later. So there's peace there. And joy. This brings us to joy. The third Sunday of Advent. Advent affords us to, the opportunity to look back at the promises God kept on that first Christmas by sending the long prayed for and promised Messiah and Savior and reminding us that the future is secure in Him as well. There's a lot of joy throughout the biblical Christmas story, especially at the beginning, early in the story. It's important to note, however, that joy wasn't found in the, this joy that, that we look at at Christmas was not found in the absence of pain, fear, or what we're going to look at this morning, shame. There was a lot of that going on in the story. There was a lot of that for the characters in the story. You'll see very clearly today in our conversation as we look at the experience of Elizabeth, the mother of John the Baptist, and Mary before the birth of Christ. Uh, as a couple weeks ago, uh, when we started this, we went to the part of the story we rarely talk about at the end where Anna and Simeon saw Jesus at his bris where he's being circumcised and they declare that's the Savior. Now we're going to go to before most of the story starts, months into the pregnancy, and we're going to look at what happens with Elizabeth and Mary. Um, Luke's first uh, telling of the first advent of Jesus begins with Zechariah prophet, and his wife Elizabeth. Luke chapter 1, verses 5 to 7 tells us the story. When Herod was king of Judah, there was a Jewish priest named Zechariah. He was a member of the priestly order of Abijah, and his wife Elizabeth was also from the priestly line of Aaron. Zechariah and Elizabeth were righteous in God's eyes, careful to obey all of the Lord's commands and regulations. They had no children because Elizabeth was unable to conceive, and they were both very old. This uh, short paragraph I just read you gives us a lot of information on the context, and you know I'm big on context. I think sometimes as we do our Christmas pageants and we do our Christmas Bible studies, I think sometimes we forget the context, which gives us just as much impetus and understanding and, and, and uh, I don't know, personal thoughts and personal growth as the story itself. And this para paragraph gives us a ton of it. For instance, these were very difficult times for them. 
We've got Herod, the Roman king, keeping the Jews under harsh Roman control, and we're introduced to Zechariah and Elizabeth, who are both of a priestly lineage. This day, this time, this history, these are the same Jewish religious leaders who end up killing Jesus and reject his message. This is not a good time for the Jewish religion. In fact, corruption seemed to reign. But Elizabeth and Zechariah are described in this story as righteous in God's eyes. That's a pretty cool thing to be said about you. We also learn that Zechariah and Elizabeth are old and have never been able to have children. These, uh, this, changes, um, the, this changes miraculously when the archangel Gabriel shows up and tells Zechariah, and we're not going to read the whole chapter today, but tells Zechariah that he is about, his wife is pregnant, to which he does a Sarah, remember Sarah had this response, and he starts laughing and arguing with the angel, and the angel's response is to make him mute until the baby's born. Shuts him up, removes his ability to work his tongue. So Zechariah leaves the temple area where he was just told his wife is pregnant and goes out and he has to write all this information down for his wife and the others to understand what just happened. It seems that uh, Elizabeth is quicker to believe the news and when she actually validates that she's pregnant, six months into the pregnancy, she says, how kind the Lord is, she exclaimed. He has taken away my, you want to know her emotional state? There it is. My what? Disgrace. So now you know the emotional state of Elizabeth at the time of, of finding out she's pregnant. It's a disgrace. And what has disgraced her? No children. In verse 24, though, right before, it tells us an odd note. It tells us that Elizabeth, after, after Zechariah comes out of the temple and has written down that she's pregnant, it tells us in verse 24 that she actually goes into hiding for five months. That's a part of the story that, frankly, I'd forgotten about. It's a weird side note. But when you add all this up, it is reasonable to believe that Elizabeth's emotional state as a woman is not good. She's bummed because she's infertile. She, the young Elizabeth and Zechariah had big dreams of having young little priests in their family and, and having little Zacharias running around and a great family. And what was a sad thing that it took a while for her to get pregnant turns into the stigma throughout the community that she is barren. And while that's difficult for women today, back in that time, you almost became useless. Because the job of a woman was to provide a child for the husband to carry on the family business. And even in this part of the story, it tells their lineage. So their children would have been in the, their children would, male children, would have been in the family business of, of priest or, or working inside of the temple area or the tabernacle. They would have served there. But she could never give him a child. And we know that because of what she says, that five months into it, her feeling about her life and her role and her, in, un, her inability to function as a wife was a disgrace to her. Maybe that's why she went into seclusion. I don't know. I just wonder. Maybe she went into seclusion to, 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 to enjoy the first five months of morning sickness. I don't know. But it says seclusion. It doesn't say she was sick. Meanwhile in Galilee, when Elizabeth was six months pregnant, Luke 1 tells us, 
It says that Gabriel makes another earthly appearance, this time to Mary, who will become the mother of Jesus to deliver the most miraculous pregnancy of all time. Mary received the news gracefully and willingly, but at some point, these are real people, at some point after Gabriel leaves, Mary must have known that her challenges and her own disgrace were just about to begin. The scorn and shame she would face would be unbearable. Her family would question her. Her fiancé would have to believe that she was not sleeping around. Can you imagine what Joseph heard that day? Yo, Joe, I've got good news and bad news. The good news is God's chosen me for a great purpose. The bad news is I'm pregnant. Next you're going to tell me you haven't been with anybody. I mean, it's funny. Only God would think of this. But you understand that amidst all this, there's shame involved. You know, Mary was engaged to Joseph before God said, I've got a work for you to do. They had big plans for their life. Their mom and dads had gotten together and they had negotiated this marriage. They had decided what the cost would be to buy the bride. They, they talked about the exchange. She, uh, Joseph would have probably been older, maybe in his early 30s. Why? Because he's a full-blown carpenter at this time. He had a business. And he would marry a young girl, 13, 14, or 15, who could give him children. That's the point. A marriage in biblical times wasn't a love thing as much as it was an arrangement that grew into love. Have you seen Fiddler on the Roof? Do you love me? Yes, I love you. For 25 years, I've watched blah, 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 blah. I know, I, I, I should be Tavia. It's, it's, it's difficult. It's hard for us to wrap our minds around it because everything's so romantic. Have you been watching Hallmark? Everything's so romanticized. But this was a, this was a live, this is how you lived. And now Mary's pregnant. She had to wrap her mind around that. And in the midst of that, and I don't know why, the Bible doesn't tell us, but Mary decides to go after the fifth month, on the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, Mary decides to go over and be with her. Now, I don't know why, but my brain's been working this week, and so I'm, I'm going to tell you what's reasonable to believe. It says that Elizabeth was in seclusion for five months, so she came out of seclusion probably after that point, Mary goes to be with her at six months, so I wonder if she's not showing at this point and actually believes she's pregnant. I'm not sure she didn't doubt, or maybe she's afraid she'll lose the baby. She might have been something else, but it's reasonable. And so when she comes out of the closet pregnant, I'm pregnant. It's going to keep. Mary all of a sudden decides to go over and spend a few months with her. I wonder if Mary left Joseph and mom and dad out of shame. Not because they knew but because she didn't want them to know. She wanted to play this out a little bit. So what does she do? She goes to her cousin's house, who she figures would understand, who herself has a weird supernatural pregnancy. And that's where we pick up the story in Luke chapter 1, verse 40, second half of that verse. Mary entered the house and greeted Elizabeth. At the sound of Mary's greeting, Elizabeth's child left within her. Can anybody remind me who that baby is? John the baptizer, and, uh, and if you remember, John the baptizer had a purpose and task in life. Does anybody remember what that was? To be what? To proclaim the Messiah. We, we summarize that in an English term, a herald, right? To proclaim. Well, guess what happens the moment 
Jesus in the womb walks in. Immediately, little Johnny proclaims. So let me go back. Now, you, now that I put it in context, Elizabeth's child, Johnny, leaps within her, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Elizabeth gave a glad cry and exclaimed to Mary, God has blessed you among all women, and your child is blessed. Why am I so honored that the mother of my Lord should visit me? When I heard your greeting, the baby in my womb, little John, jump for joy. Oh, there's that word. Jump for joy. You are blessed because you believe that the Lord would do what he said. Can you even imagine what a relief this must have been to Mary? She didn't have to explain herself. She didn't have to worry anymore about being understood or misunderstood as her belly begins to expand and her womb grows. She doesn't even have to explain or worry about being misunderstood by Elizabeth for the position God had placed her in. I know we don't like to think about that, but God placed her in a pretty precarious human position here. All she had to do was say hello, and John proclaimed that that was a child of God. That was, the, that, was the, that was God himself, sorry, the Son of God, Jesus. And the Holy Spirit fills Mary and informs her that this is the Savior. The preborn John leaps within Elizabeth, making way for the news. And from within, the joy, the joy like a volcano comes bursting through as she praises and thanks God for this difficult and wonderful circumstance. Verse 46 is Mary's response to this moment. Oh, how my soul praises the Lord. How my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he took notice of his lowly servant girl. And from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one is holy, and he has done great things for me. He shows mercy from generation to generation to all who fear him. His mighty arm has done tremendous things. He has scattered the proud and haughty ones. He has brought down princes from their thrones and exalted the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away with empty hands. He has helped his servant Israel and remembered to be merciful. For he made his promise, this promise to our ancestors, to Abraham and his children forever. You are familiar with that because it's called the Magnificat. But what it really is is, is just Mary's response. Despite the fact that she's not married, despite the fact that she's pregnant, despite the fact that she's still a virgin, this is her response. This is the explosion of joy that comes from her. This beautiful passage of Scripture represents to us two God-tasked expectant mothers who explode with joy despite what has happened before this moment and what will happen after this moment. Because in that moment, they found joy in the work of the Lord in them and around them. I'd like to make three simple observations this morning regarding joy. The first one is kind of dumb. It's okay to be joyful even in the midst of pain and difficulty. Over the next month, you will probably, especially those of you who are struggling emotionally, and this is, they say, is the most depressed time of the year. I don't know about all that, but, but, but this, has been, this has been a heck of a year, and maybe, maybe next year seems kind of scary to you. And there's going to be a, something that happens over the next three weeks in your heart, and you're going, to, you're, going to, you're going to feel good again. And then sometime in the middle, Satan's going to whisper in your ear, tomorrow's going to stink. And you're going to go, I shouldn't celebrate because tomorrow's going to stink. Just so you know, even if tomorrow does stink, today does not, you can have joy. That's what struck me about Mary here. I mean, I, 
We know the end of the story. So we can kind of go, um, well, it's, it's going to be okay, Mary. Actually, that's not the end of the story. The end of the story is she watches her son be killed on a cross. <laughs> the, the, the beginning of the story is Simeon saying to her, oh, he's going to bruise, he's going to hurt your heart. You're going to see pain. You see, God's plan for Mary's life didn't make her life better on this earth. Her eternity was going to be better. But on this earth, there's a lot of problems, but she celebrates. It's okay to be joyful even in the midst of pain and difficulty. We've probably all heard joy described in contrast to happiness. And and the truth is, I've probably said that too. Because we try to help people understand. Um, So I'm going to dog that and then I'm going to defend it. But... Um, but but we, we, we're, we're limited to language, you know? And we try to help people that temporary happiness will leave you empty again. But I'd like to say this morning, only if you fill it with temporary things. Joy is something that's based on fact and eternity and keeps you hopeful. The interesting thing is the Hebrew word uh, and the Greek word, the biblical words for joy and happiness, although in some places it does use the word happy and some places it uses the word joy, they're interchangeable. Within their context, they basically mean the same thing. So while sometimes my preaching can be a downer, I want to be really, really clear this morning, there's nothing wrong with being happy. There's nothing wrong with having joy. And there's nothing wrong with even feeling really, really good after you eat too much turkey or being with family or hugging a, a sister or a brother. That's part of the emotions God gave with us. And I do think it's dangerous for guys like me to always make it sound like happiness is, is stupid. It's not. I love happiness. I love to laugh. I, I don't know if you knew that. I like stuff. I like things that are silly. I, I used to like Facebook because it made me laugh. John Estes. If you want one Facebook friend, get John Estes. His stuff is always funny. Some of it's inappropriate, but it's always funny. I'm just kidding, John. I mean, the the, the truth is, it's okay to laugh. It's okay to have joy. We learned that in our study of, of, uh, you know, Ecclesiastes. They're basically interchangeable. And I raise this point because it's something that some of us need to hear and I need to make clear. It's okay to want to be happy and joyful. It's okay to desire and enjoy these emotions as long, and here's the caveat, as long as we seek these things from God and His promises and not by self-medicating our pain away by self-delusion. The reason I wanted to point this out is because I want to make it clear to those of you who think, who are listening to these things as kind of a, a, a self-help thing, and I am not telling you to find peace in stupidity. I am not telling you in Advent season to find false hope like we're going to inhabit Mars in our lifetime. I'm not, I'm not trying to, to tell you to, find, to, to blow off the coronavirus as if it doesn't have a negative effect on the people it affects. That's silly. I, I still think we should put our seatbelts on when we get in our cars. I think that's wise. What I'm telling you is that hope or, or happiness and joy that's founded in the promises of God is not foolish and, in fact, is the only thing you can lean on. More than masks. You may have the most beautiful flowered mask ever. It may be 19 inches thick and let no oxygen in, but you can still get sick. You may asphyxiate. 
But when you die, if you're a child of God, whether it's asphyxiation or coronavirus, you go home. That's hope. That gives peace when I get the diagnosis. And that means that I don't have to worry about that today because I haven't been diagnosed. I can have a good day. I can actually walk out of here, not turn on Fox or CNN, not worry what Biden or Trump is doing, and I can have a good day. Well, you want to be ignorant? Maybe ignorance is a little more blissful because my hope is not found in which one of them end up as president. I think we know who that will be. My hope is not found in who's going to run Congress, although I, I think, I hope, you know, whatever, blah, blah, blah. My hope is found in what happens a thousand years from now. Because a hundred years from now, none of this will matter to any of us. All that will matter is what we did with Jesus. Uh, Annie and I were talking this week. Do you hate three o'clock in the morning as much as I do? Uh, Shakespeare referred to it as uh, those hours. I quote Shakespeare, it's dirty. But, but those horrible hours, bewitching hours, I could quote him there. The bewitching hour. Actually, actually, Proverbs talks about the middle of the night. Have you ever woken up at 3 o'clock in the morning and you're anxious about something you think you should be anxious about, but at 7 o'clock, that same anxious thought is gone? It's like, I'm not going to worry about that. You're, you're stronger. That's because you can't do anything at 3 o'clock in the morning and 7 o'clock is more reasonable. You wasted 3 o'clock in the morning worrying. Or it worked because it never came to pass. But that's a different discussion for a different day. The point I'm trying to make is, what good does it do to worry or be depressed today? You can choose joy. Mary and Elizabeth were having a moment. A moment of wonderment. A moment of awesomeness of God. A moment of joy expression. And John the Baptist is, is participating and the Holy Spirit is participating because what was going to be the result of this birth this pregnancy of Mary that is a catastrophe for the human Mary is greater than the pain. And brothers and sisters, I can assure you of one thing. Ten seconds after you die, all the fear will be gone and all the hope will be there. All the joy, everything that you hoped was true will have been founded and true. And you will be home. And not home as I've said like TBN has, where we all sit in these little pews in a uh, I don't know, uh, in a room that's all white with purple and gold. I'm talking about home, home, where you kick your shoes off. I mean, Scripture describes heaven as the place that God, Jesus moves over on his thrones and we sh he shares his throne with us. Where he's got a secret name that he calls us. Just known by him and us. Why? Because that's how dads treat their kids. We're holding on too tight. There is no peace. There is no hope. And there is no real joy outside of Jesus. There, I said it. You can be married to a doctor and still die. You can be married to a, a pastor and still have sin devastate your life. There is no safe outside of Jesus. And in order for us to get that hope and peace, God made a promise that was fulfilled at the birth that will again be fulfilled in His second coming and it would cause great pain to Mary and Elizabeth to some degree to bring that about and they chose this day to celebrate in God's work instead of the devastation of their lives. That's joy. And happiness. You see, real healthy joy and happiness is only based upon the facts, not the season. For the first two weeks, and now we've kind of got this decked out a little bit Christmassy, 
I didn't want any of the decorations, so we didn't do it ahead of time. Why? Because the hope and peace of Advent is not found in decorations. There's nothing wrong with decorating. But we're going to undecorate somewhere around July. We are in the South, after all. It's not found in your family gatherings. It's not going to be found in the good ham or the brisket Uncle Ned makes. I mean, it'll fill your belly. It's found in the fact that when Uncle Ned's brisket gives you whatever, whatever fullness you feel, when that's gone, the fact of the season that gives us hope, peace, and joy is not. It's just beginning. No matter what this year has held for us, no matter where you find yourself right now, you can have joy based upon God's promises to you, even if the circumstances cause you personal strife, like Mary and Elizabeth did. Observation number two. It's actually the joy of the Lord that sustains us, not hatred or anger or the wrath against the evil things. You remember Nehemiah was an Old Testament leader who got permission from King Artaxerxes to return from exile in Babylon and rebuild Jerusalem, starting with its walls. The process was more than just a return, a physical return to the city for the Hebrews. It actually was a spiritual reawakening for them. In chapter 8 of the book of Nehemiah, Nehemiah stands before the nation and he reads the law. They stand as he reads it. And after hearing it, the people, it says, break out into crying and mourning. Over and over, they repent, and it's loud. And you would think, well, that's right. That's what they should have done. But in Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 10, this is Nehemiah, God's man, his response to their weeping. And Nehemiah continued, go and celebrate with a feast of rich foods and sweet drinks and share gifts of food with people who have nothing prepared, for this is a sacred day before our Lord. Don't be dejected and sad, for the joy of the Lord will be your strength. Sometimes, this is the posture of a believer. Oh, God is good. Isn't he great? Well, you, you can look back at monks. Oy. You know. Or be better yet from, I better not do that. The, the truth is, sometimes we Baptists are depressing as heck. Oh. There, but when one of us falls, there but the grace of God go I. Well, you know he murdered somebody, right? Yeah, I've been wanting to murder people too. <laughs> he had to go pick up a knife. I know, I've thought about that. Stop it! It's the joy of the Lord that's our strength, not devastation over the world. Nehemiah knew that to rebuild the walls, to truly be intimate with God, we don't sit around and go, oh, God had, God had provided and would provide for those people for a spiritual forgiveness. That's God's work. Their work was to obey. Keep walking. For Moses, when he cries out to God, the Egyptians are surrounding us and there's only the Red Sea in front of us. I didn't ask you to pray, I asked you to walk. Walk. You want joy? Keep walking. Are you sad this season? Do the cooking. Serve others. Get on your face before the Lord and thank Him for what He's provided for you because the day is coming when you will never be depressed again. 
The day is coming where you will not evaluate yourself on your weight or your infertility or on your marriage or on the abuse that somebody has put upon you. You will value yourself as worthy because of what, a, what God did. And what did he do? He sent his son, born of a virgin, put in a manger, lived among us for 33 years, dying on the cross because he loves you that much. And if you are that valuable to God, there shouldn't be a human being alive that can reduce that. Your value is not in your sinfulness, but his mercy. Unless, of course, you've chosen to reject his mercy, then you have no hope. Honestly, and, and, and for those of you who don't know Jesus, there is really, my advice to you this Christmas is drink up. The problem is, five hours later, when the alcohol is out of your system, you're going to need to drink again. You're going to have to find a better drug. For those of you who want to self-medicate by eating away your pain, there's never enough food. There's always enough God. He loves you. And He has a plan for you. And that plan may hurt just for a while. I, I want to encourage you to do something I very rarely do. You need to watch The Nativity. It's a Hollywood movie about the birth of Christ. And it takes the story and it just puts skin on it. If you liked The Chosen, you will love this movie. There is a scene in there where Joseph, after he knows that she's pregnant with God's child and they're leaving Bethlehem and as they leave, everybody's snarling at them. It's my favorite line in the movie. And she's on a donkey and they're riding out and he leans over to Mary and he says, I think they're going to miss us here when we're gone. <laughs> just so you know, the world has never loved God or his followers or his people. Get over it. Heaven is being built for you right now. What's that place going to be like? He's been working on it for 2,000 years. Man, you don't have to, you don't have to, you can choose joy. The joy of the Lord will sustain us in 2021. 1 Peter 1, 8 and 9. And then I'll wrap up. I want you to look at the verse before I read it. You love him, even though you've never seen him. Though you don't see him now, you trust him. And you rejoice with a glorious, inexpressible joy. <laughs> There's an action word in the middle, isn't there? Trust. Are you seeing a thread through hope, peace, and now joy? You can only have these things as you trust. As you actually, naively, ignorantly say, I put my trust in you. Except it isn't naive. It isn't ridiculous because he's kept his promises to everybody in the past. You love him even though you haven't seen him. Though you do not see him now. You trust him. And you rejoice with glorious and expressible joy. You can choose joy by choosing to trust. I, I, uh, those of you, and, and there's probably a lot, and all of us maybe, that are struggling right now um, with whatever, I just tell you, you can still get on your knees today in your bedroom and close the door and talk to him. Well, what do I do? That's really a silly question. You talk to him. 
The Jesus that was in the manger is sitting at the right hand of the Father. If you're his child, he's inhabited the Holy Spirit. You, you have him. You talk to him. He listens. Go talk to him. It's a beautiful day. Go take a walk. I know some of you are lonely. You want a spouse. Some of you are infertile and you're frustrated. And some of you are scared because your kids are becoming adults and they're demon-possessed. I know all that. But so does God. And he loves them more than you do. I worry about stuff. You know that. It's a, it's a hobby. I'm very good at it. But God has been speaking to me. The reason you don't have joy, Pastor Mark, is because you don't trust me. You want to know what I told Zach this week? I told him the thing that scares me the most about God is I know what he does to people like Mary. That's why I don't trust him. Don't get me wrong. I trust him for eternity, but he could really screw up my life. How gross is that for a preacher? I actually fear what I know of God. What he's talking to me about is what I do is good. And by the way, Mark, the reward for trusting him will be the salvation of your soul. Louise, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to jump to the end here, and I want to go back with these verses. Would you go back to verse 8, and we'll go to verse 9 again, because I really think we're in a good place to shut down. If you want joy, and I'm telling you how. Remember last week I told you how to have hope. Put your trust in it. That was two weeks ago, just like, just like Anna and Simeon did last week. How to have peace? Put your trust in him. Make him your daddy. Trust that he's got your plan. He sees the alpha and omega beginning and the end. Now you know how to, have, how to have joy. You love him even though you have never seen him, though you don't see him now. Wow, that sounds like us. We've never seen Jesus, but we trust him. And because of that, you can rejoice with glorious and expressible joy. Next verse. The reward for trusting him is going to be the salvation of your souls. And this is not just about keeping you out of hell. This is about going home. Yeah. That's what Advent's about. It uses the first Advent, the coming of Jesus, to remind us that just like Elizabeth and Mary experienced weird things, and Simeon and Anna, and, and, and just like the shepherds endured weird, crazy things that we dramatize with children on the stage and put music to, it's just as weird for us. But when you put your hope and your peace and your trust in the Lord, you get hope, joy, and peace. You put your trust in Him. You end up with hope, joy, and peace. Because when somebody says to you, isn't this a crazy country? We're going to go socialist. You can say, yeah, I didn't vote for that. I'm praying against it. But the kingdom that I'm going to end up in isn't a democracy. It's not socialism. It's a theocracy. And to him and him alone I will bow. Let's close in prayer. I want to um, give you a moment to talk to the Lord. We, we're third week, we've talked about peace, hope, and now joy. And I don't know what is robbing you of peace, hope, and joy, what is keeping you from trusting in Him, but I'm going to give you about 10, 15, 20 seconds to give that to Him right now, to declare that you trust Him. For those of you online in your living room right now and your kids are running around playing with toys and being noisy, I'm going to close in prayer, but before you wrap up this time, grab your kids and pray with your family. 
Husbands and wives that are watching this together, hold hands, give your family to Jesus. Trust Him for work, for health, for corona, for our government, for our lives. Give your kids to Him. Tell Him you trust them with their lives. Lord Jesus, I give this church to you. I'm holding on too tight. It's your church. I just think that I have a lot more control over it than I do. So I trust you. Help me with my lack of trust. And Father, may we have joy, not just on Christmas, but because we're looking forward to the second advent. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Have a wonderful Sunday, you guys. Go take a walk, pray with your family, enjoy the weather. Bible study is going to start in about five minutes. And my dear, we're still goodbye. As long as you love me, 